Well, let's find our way to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7, a familiar passage of Scripture, especially for this time of year. And uh, I'm not committing to Christmas messages every Sunday morning, but don't be surprised if they don't pop up here and there. And the Lord laid this on my heart um, for this hour. Isaiah chapter 7, beginning in verse number 1. It came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezan, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, king of Israel, went up toward Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim. And his heart was moved in the heart of his people, as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou and Shirosh Jaz. Man, this is a tough, and it only gets worse. Because in chapter 8, you got Meher Shalahabaz. Y'all pray for me, won't you? And I even practice these names too, but when, you know, it's kind of like how it is. You get to the game, sometimes you freeze. Thou and Shear Joshua. See, I don't normally struggle with this one as bad. Isaiah, son. Thy son at the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. And say unto him, Take heed and be quiet. Fear not, neither be fainthearted. For the two tails of these smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of reason from Syria, with Syria and of the son of Ramalia, because of Syria, Ephraim and the son of Ramalia have taken evil counsel against thee, saying, Let us go up against Judah and vex it, and let us make a breach there in force, and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabiel. Thus saith the Lord God, it shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is reason. And within three, within three score and five years, at sixty-five years, shall Ephraim be broken, that it be not a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Ramalia's son. By the way, did you notice, this is just for free on the side. Here's, here's how you know God's not pleased with the king of Israel. He stops using his name. He stops saying Pekah, and he says, the son of Ramilia, that guy over there. You better, you better hope you don't get to a place in life that God stops calling you by name. That's just for free. Verse 10. Well, verse 9. The head of Ephraim is Samaria. The head of Samaria is Ramalia's son. If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And he said, Hear ye now, house of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, let me give you something to work with on verse 14 before we get into the message in earnest. There are some that view verse 14 um, with some controversy. The word used for virgin here is the Hebrew word alma. And alma can be used in one of two ways. It can be used to speak of a, a woman who has never been with a man, or it can be used of a young woman, a maiden, who's just young by age. And some have taken that to mean that there's some kind of undercutting of the virgin birth here because Isaiah uses this word as opposed to a different Hebrew word that specifically means virgin. By the way, some translations 
even, even translate that young woman. And, and that would be a wrong way to translate that word in that context, I believe. Now, let's, let's just make this clear. Because the word can be used a different way does not mean the word is used a different way. All right, seven times, seven times in the Old Testament you see this word used in this kind of a context. All seven times it refers to a woman that's never been with a man. When they were putting together the Septuagint, which is the Greek edition of the, of the, uh, the Old Testament, as, they, as the editors that worked on that said, what word should we use for this word Alma in its context, they decided to use the word in the Greek that specifically and always means a virgin. Then if you just look at the context of it, now we understand that births are miraculous, we know that, but, but honestly, is that traditionally a miraculous sign that a young woman gives birth? It happens every day. That would be no sign to Ahaz. But let me add you the one that just puts it over the top for me. When God sends his messenger in Matthew to refer to this verse, he makes it clear. I'm not talking about a young woman. I'm talking about a virgin. Case closed for me. The Lord Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. Okay? And if he wasn't, then our salvation is no good. Hmm? Because then he's subject to the sin nature, just like we all are, and he can't be our savior. All right, that also was free. So if you ever run across that in your studies, if you're dealing with commentaries or whatever, just if you run across that, this may not mean virgin. It means virgin. It means what it means. Okay. So go ahead and just take that and file that away for whenever you might need it. Well, we like to go to Isaiah seven fourteen, don't we? Especially this time of year. But it's unfortunate that there's not many people that really understand what is going on around it. We don't have context for verse number 14. And when you understand the context of this prophecy, it takes on such a greater and broader significance even for us. Isaiah's ministry began during the last year of the reign of Uzziah, a good king of Judah. You remember in Isaiah chapter 6? He says, in the year that King Uzziah died... That's when God came to him. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Who shall go for me? Here my send me. That's when he was called into ministry in that last year of Uzziah's life. Uzziah was a great king. He had one overwhelming flaw. He tried to intrude into the priest's office, and God gave him leprosy for it, and they ultimately died from it. Don't be too hard on Uzziah. We all have one great flaw, don't we? Probably more than one, Okay. Uzziah was a great king, a godly king, and his son Jotham, also a very good king. Maybe not to the level of Uzziah, but a very good king. But now Isaiah is serving alongside of Uzziah's grandson, Ahaz. I cannot overstate this. Ahaz even for a king of Judah, even compared to the kings of the northern kingdom of Israel, was a wicked, wicked man. We, we read about him in 2 Kings verse thir- chapter 13, verse 1. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty years old was Ahaz when he began to reign, and reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and did not. That which was right in the sight of the Lord his God, like David his father. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, yea, and made his son to pass through the fire. He did human sacrifice with his own babies. 
according to the abominations of the heathen. Not for nothing, God takes a dim view of people that sacrifice babies. And he's taken a dim view out of it in this country since 1973. Verse 4, and he sacrificed and burned incense in the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. This guy was a wicked, wicked man. And he now finds himself at a critical juncture. The northern kingdom, Israel, has joined forces with the Syrian kingdom. Now remember, Syria and Assyria are two different, two different groups. Neither one of them want anything to do with Assyria. He's joined with Syria, okay? Originally, originally they invited, they invited the, uh, Judah to get involved with this, and they didn't. And so now, they want to get rid of Ahaz and replace him with a puppet king of their choosing. And in a panic, Ahaz reaches out to Assyria, crazy enough, Assyria to fight against them. We see that in 2 Kings 16. The confederation of Israel and Syria had begun their siege of Jerusalem even during the reign of Ahaz's father, Jotham, in 2 Kings chapter 15. This is how long they've been messing with him and his family. Now, while Ahaz's days are numbered, God is not yet ready to send Judah into captivity. It'll eventually happen, but they'll go to Babylon, not Assyria. Isaiah is dispatched by God to meet with King Ahaz and bring him the word of the Lord. And there is so much to be gleaned from the specifics regarding this meeting. And Lord willing, that's what we're going to talk about tonight, the specifics, where they met. The, the surroundings and the setting and the lessons that are taught just in where Isaiah and Ahaz meet. There's a lot going on there. We'll not get into there for time's sake this morning, hopefully tonight. But for this morning, we want to be content to take a bird's eye view of this narrative that leads up to one of the most recognizable prophecies, particularly in light of the Christmas season. So here's the question we want to ask ourselves. What does a prophecy uttered 750 or so years before Christ have for us today what do we take from that so i want to speak to you on this subject principles from the prophecy principles from the prophecy father would you help me as i preach this and teach this may i handle your word in such a way that pleases you that rightly divides it lord and is a help to your people speak to us in an unusual way tonight we pray in jesus name we ask these things amen principles from a prophecy verse 14 says therefore the lord himself will give you a sign behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name emmanuel what do we take from that in the circumstances leading up to it here's the first principle you ready and we talked about this not long ago you reap what you sow you reap what you sow verse number two Israel and Syria have lined up against Judah, and it was told the house of David, which is a broad term for Ahaz and his, his court, saying Syria is confederate with Ephraim. And his heart was moved. And the heart of his people, as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind, they are shaking in their sandals. They are terrified. They are facing a terrible, horrific circumstance. Ahaz, they want dead. They want him replaced with a puppet king. You reap what you sow. Remember, Ahaz, a wicked, wicked king. Be not deceived. 
God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You remember those three truths we just recently talked about. You reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow, and you reap later than you sow. What's that got to do with this story? Everything that Ahaz is facing is a direct result of his decisions. Ahaz is in the place that he is because of his own bad decisions. We talked about this a little bit in our joint Sunday school class this morning. We as parents need to be very careful that we don't make bad decisions that that impact our families negatively and then try to blame it on something else. Well, preacher, I know we don't come to church much, but you know gas being what it is. Come on now. Inflation is not what keeps people out of church. It's quiet. It's true, though. Ahaz, I'm sure, thought this is so unjust. I've tried to be a good king. I've tried to give the people liberty to to worship as they see fit. And No, there's no other way to sugarcoat it. Ahaz was a wicked man, and he tried to lead his people into wickedness. And he is now reaping what he had sown. He sowed to corruption and was reaping corruption. There's a second principle we see here. God extends grace to the undeserving. Look at verse 3. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou and Shear Joshua, thy son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. And say unto him, Take heed and be quiet. <laughs> I love that. Isaiah, here's what I want you to tell. Here's what I want you to tell Ahaz. King Ahaz, the king. Isaiah, here's my message. First thing I want you to say to him, sit down and shut up. wow take heed and be quiet fear not neither be faint-hearted for the two tails of these smoking firebrands you know what a firebrand is it's an ember it's something that's already extinguishing they're not even at their full strength now they're on their way out for the tales of these smoking firebrands for the fierce anger of reason with Samaria with Syria and of the son of Ramalia Ramalia because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Ramalia have taken evil counsel against thee, saying, Let us go up against Judah and vex it, and let us make a breach therein for us, and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of uh, Tabiel. Uh, thus saith the Lord God, It shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. It shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. Nothing about Ahaz deserved deliverance. There's no reason on the planet that God was bound or obliged to help Ahaz in any way, shape, or form. Ahaz's choices demanded everything that he was facing. So why did God extend grace to a man who was so undeserving? I'll tell you why. Because God had made a promise to his forefather some 300 years earlier. His name was David. And, and you see it. We'll not read it for time's sake, but jot down 2 Samuel 7, 4 through 16. David wants to build the temple. And God, through Nathan, says, no. Your hands are covered in blood. That's going to be Solomon's job. You gather what he needs. That's going to be Solomon's job. And let me give you a promise, David. This is what's called the Davidic covenant. Verse number 16, And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. 
You see, God extended grace to undeserving Ahaz, not because Ahaz had merited it, but because God had made a promise. Keep that in mind, won't you? So we see first that you reap what you sow, and that God extends grace to the undeserving. You know, he owed Ahaz nothing but judgment. Then number three, God insists that we trust him. Insist on it. Look at verse 10. Moreover, the, word, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or the height above. You know what he's saying there? Ask something, a sign to prove me, and it can be as high as heaven or as low as hell. That covers about everything, doesn't it? Ask the sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, listen to this pompous foolishness. I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. It's amazing how people get religion when their back's against the wall. But Ahaz didn't understand what God was asking him or insisting upon. And he said, hear ye now, house of David, is a small thing for you to weary men. But will you weary my God also? This was not a noble gesture on the part of Ahaz saying he wouldn't tempt God. What was God doing? He was demanding that Ahaz step out on faith and prove God's trustworthiness. All right, Ahaz, tell me what you need to believe me. Put it out there. Try me. What have we, what have we said when we've been talking about stewardship? You can't outgive God. Try it. Go ahead, try it. Give it your best shot. What Ahaz was doing here is he was refusing to take God at his word. This was not nobility. This was unbelief. Ahaz was saying, I don't believe. In verse number 13, it's interesting. God expands the audience to include all of Judah. For two reasons. Number one, he was dealing with Judah through its leader federally, and he does that from time to time. But then number two, he was delivering a message that was meant for all of us. Try me. Trust me. Put it out there. David said, what time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I've put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Verse 10, in God, will I praise his word. In the Lord, will I praise his word. In God, have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. It sounds like a man that trusted God. And all, all, all God is insisting for Ahaz to do is what David, his forefather, did. Trust me. I don't want you to raise your hand, but let me ask you a question. Two questions. Number one, do you trust God? Do you? Number two, do you live like you trust God? Because it's easy for us to say, I trust him. But do our actions and our attitudes back that up? Well, I trust him. I've used this story before, but it's an excellent example. You ever heard of the Flying Melinda's? They, they, were, they, were, they did all kinds of different circus acts, but they were known for the high wire act. In fact, one of them went between the two, twin towers one time, walked a tightrope between the twin, between the, betwixt the twin towers. I say this lovingly, what an idiot. 
but there's a story of them way back when crossing the two sides of Niagara Falls. I've been there. Just got to go there last summer. I barely wanted to go near the railing. I'm not walking across that thing on a tightrope. But the story is told, and this is way back when, previous generations. He walked across, and everybody on the other side, oh, that's wonderful. And then he took a wheelbarrow, and he walked back across with the wheelbarrow. And everybody's like, oh, that's wonderful. And he said, now, how many of y'all believe I could put one of y'all in this wheelbarrow and get you safely across? Oh, yeah, I think you could. All right, which one of you is going to do it? God says, how many of you trust me? Oh, yes, Lord, I trust you. Then who's going to get in my wheelbarrow? A lot fewer do that. Yeah. See, there's, there's some truths we've learned here, some principles. You reap what you sow, and God extends to gra- sends grace to the undeserving. He insists that we trust him. But here's the last one. Man, this is super elementary. If you came here for a doctoral dissertation, you're not going to get it. Here it is. You ready? All we need is Jesus. Hey, has asked for a sign. I'm not, I'm not going to tempt the Lord. Right, I'm going to give you one anyway. Here's what you get, Ahaz. Here's how you know I'm in business. Here's how you know I can pull off what I'm telling you I'm going to pull off. You ready? Jesus. Here's my credibility. Jesus. What was Ahaz's sign? Jesus. What would be Ahaz's deliverance? Jesus. What was all of this leading to? Jesus. All of this was designed. Everything that Ahaz is facing, the messages from Isaiah, and all of that was leading to this one point. Here it is. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Ahaz, here's your sign that I'm going to fix everything that you and every other human have messed up up to this point. His name is Emmanuel. He's going to fix it all. Eight minutes left, and we're already at the so what? It's a Christmas miracle. Okay, Andy, great. Ahaz got some principles there. You reap what you sow, and God extends grace to the undeserving, and God insists that we trust him, and all we need is Jesus. Okay, so what What do I do with that? Everything that I just said doesn't just apply to Ahaz. It applies to every one of us in here. Think about it. You reap what you sow. Was that true for Ahaz? Yes. Is it true for us? Yes. Every one of us, every one of us is ultimately headed to the consequence of our decisions. If you've decided for Jesus Christ, you've decided to receive him as your Lord, then you're headed to the consequence of that, which is heaven. But if you've not, if you've rejected him, if you've not given it much thought, if you've decided to go your own way, you are headed to the consequences, could we say it this way, the wages of your sinful decision. And what are the wages of sin? According to Romans 6.23, death. The fact is nobody will stand before God in the judgment and say that God owed them anything but hell.
Do you know, do you know what ultimately led to the thief on the cross getting saved? It wasn't a miracle. Because at that point, he had seen no miracle in Jesus on that cross. All he saw was a dying man. Do you remember what he said? Do you remember what he said to the other thief? We're here justly. He understood he was a sinner. And friend, if you want to know Jesus Christ, it starts with understanding you need Jesus Christ. That we reap what we sow. But the second principle is good news, isn't it? God extends his grace to the undeserving. <laughs> That's, we, we struggle with this sometimes because we, uh, we stop seeing ourselves as undeserving, don't we? Well, I'm not so bad. I'm not nearly as bad as my neighbor. I'm not nearly as bad as my coworker. I'm not nearly that. We're undeserving. Thou should have no other gods before me. Done it. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. I may not have a little Buddha sitting in my living room, but if I tried to make God in the image I want him to be instead of who he is, oh yeah. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Have I used my time unwisely in a way that doesn't please him? Yeah. Honor thy father and thy mother. Have I ever dishonored my father and mother? Yep. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Have I ever blasphemed? Yeah. Thou shalt not kill. According to John, I have. If you hate your brother in your heart, you're a murderer. That shall not commit adultery. Jesus said, if you have lust in your heart, if somebody's not your spouse, you've committed adultery already. And every man in here would raise his hand if he's honest. That shall not steal. Have I ever stolen? Yeah. But I tell you, it doesn't even have to be, you know, sticky fingers. It can be something as simple as taking a paycheck to do a job and not doing your best. Then you stole that money. Oh, I shall not bear false witness. Well, I can say I've never lied. Guess what? The Bible says all men are liars. If I hadn't, I just did then. Okay. I shall not covet. Have you ever been discontent and wanted that which God gave somebody else instead of what he's given me? Yeah. So let's Let's review. Because I'm not that bad, Brother Hensley, I'm not that bad. And yet I've just admitted to be an idolatrous, blasphemous, murderous, thieving, adulterous malcontent. I've just admitted it. Now what about that deserves to go to heaven? And here's the thing, y'all. It's not just true about me. It's true about Every person sitting in here that's past the age of point of accountability, it's true of all of us. And when you get in the light of the glorious righteousness of Jesus Christ, it makes it all the more apparent. Woe is me, for I am undone. I don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve the glory of God or the, the goodness of God. 
I don't get his glory. I don't deserve his goodness. I don't deserve his love. But aren't you glad that just like with Ahaz, God extends grace to undeserving people. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So what do we do? Principle three, God insists that we trust him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 36, he that believeth on the Son have everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. I want to go to heaven. What do I do? Believe. But I'm not living up to it. Believe. I don't feel like a Christian. Believe. Because just like that guy in that wheelbarrow, All that guy had to do was be still. Just be still. What do I have to do to get to heaven? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and just be still and let him accomplish it. Quit trying to do it yourself. There's some of us, and I've counted myself in this number, that I'm just, I just, just get raked over the coals in the matter of my assurance of salvation because I didn't act very saved here, and I didn't feel very saved here. At some point, either God does it or he doesn't. And I'm going to heaven not because I look like I'm saved or I act like I'm saved or I even live like I'm saved. I'm going to heaven because Jesus absorbed the wrath of God in my place and I asked him to save me and he made a promise. And if he doesn't hold to that promise, it wasn't me that failed. It was him. And we've sung it many times. Jesus never fails. Never. And that leads us to the last principle. All we need is Jesus. Hey, Ahaz, you want this thing to get fixed? All you need is Emmanuel who's coming. Christian, you need help? All you need is the Emmanuel who's already come. And is now coming again. See, and when I see this, then verse 14 opens up for me in ways that I never saw before. That prophecy wasn't just for Ahaz. It was for me and for you. And ultimately, it comes down to this simple truth. Jesus is right for whatever's wrong in your life. All you need is Jesus.